You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Yes, we are off and running on this Thursday, May 20th. I had a little Marv Albert there. Yes! What is going on? How is everybody feeling? Uh, This is the Gordon Damer Show. This is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. Plenty to keep us busy on this Thursday edition. As we take you up until 6 o'clock, of course, you know the deal. One hour, we run through it all, lead you up till 6 o'clock. The number you know, 1-800-919-ESPN. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, at Gordon Damer. Daily poll question is up for today. We'll touch on that in just a little bit and certainly get your phone calls involved at 1-800-919-ESPN. But, you know, after the show was over yesterday, you know, I'm kind of reading different takes on the uh, ongoing contract battle between the baseball players and the owners. And that right now is the issue. That I mean, that's the number one issue going on in sports. Yes, the NBA seems like it's getting closer to returning all things point, but nothing, nothing officially has happened yet there. The NHL seems like they're moving in the right direction, but still a lot of work to be done there. Nowhere is there more work to be done, though, in terms of return to play than in Major League Baseball. So in case you missed yesterday's show, my main takeaway from yesterday was the big development, right, over the past week was that the MLB owners basically wasted everybody's time, right? They came into the week getting ready to make another proposal to the players, and they made that proposal, and anyone with two brain cells could have told you there was no way of that being approved. And I can say that as someone with two functioning brain cells. And really, there was no way that the thing that the, the, the owners proposed had even a chance of being a blueprint of being something that could be worked on. So it told you one of two things. A, they knew it had no way of being accepted, and they did it anyway for PR purposes, for whatever reason. I don't know. Or B, they actually thought, hey, this is good. Maybe we can work with this. Either way, they wasted everyone's time. And did so at a time where time is, you know, kind of precious, right? This is the week that we got told, hey, don't worry about last week. Last week's going to be ugly. It's going to suck. But next week, when they get into next week, all the acrimony, all the bitterness will be pushed aside and everyone will, will come together. Things will turn positive. They'll work towards a deal. Everyone will hold hands. Unicorns will fly in the sky. Rainbows. All that nonsense, right? But I got done with the show yesterday. And, you know, let's be honest. I was a little uh, down in the dumps. Baseball's my favorite sport, or at least number two at worst. I'm looking forward to, or I was looking forward to, a big Yankee season. Not like I'm a Met fan, right? And, And I'm reading all these people. Joel Sherman, Jeff Passan, David Lennon of Newsday, you know, people who are real insiders. I'm just a, 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 a you know, a yokel just sitting here reading all this stuff and giving you my take and all those type of things. But these are real baseball insiders. They, they are, they got their finger on the pulse. And they all, and there were other ones. I just can't think of them off the top of my head because again, I got two brain cells to rub together. They all kind of had the the approach in one form of the other. Well, look, you know, this is all part of the process. This is how the sausage gets made. David Lennon, I think, uh, you know, kind of recapped it perfectly. He tweeted out, in general, negotiations over money 
don't open and close in the same happy conversation unless you're buying a car from your grandmother. Basically, this is how the sausage gets made. This is all this is all part of the negotiation dance. This side's angry with that side. The other side's angry with this thing. But at the end of the day, don't get too worked up because at the end of the day, cooler heads will prevail and a deal will get done. And leave it to baseball to figure out a way, if a deal does get done, that they'll still alienate people with the way they've gone through the process of getting a deal done. Good stuff, guys. Thumbs up. So with that being the backdrop, you might be wondering, okay, well, you know, if the end game is, don't worry, this is all part of the process, a deal is still going to get done. The big question after the owners wasted everybody's time, maybe you're wondering, well, how do things look now? Another day, another 24 hours, another day closer to this soft deadline of June 1st. How do things look now, Gordon? Well, they look great. Really, things are coming together. But Jeff Passan yesterday floated the question, you know, after the owners came up with this proposal that, again, wasted everybody's time and kind of tried everybody's patience as well, what do the players do now? Do they just simply reject the proposal? Or do they, as a group, come back with what they want? Do they come back with something of their own? Say, okay, here's what we want. Do the players take a proactive approach? Do they look to solve some of the issues? Maybe not in the right now, but that they look down the road. They look to future pay, solve some of the issues that are going to come up when the CBA comes up and assure things that after this season, they kind of bridge the gap by, you know, working around some of the issues that seem unrepairable. No, they went with option one. <laughs> they went They went with the hard rejection, and no, this is not going to work. Max Scherzer tweeted out yesterday, and that's how you know it's bad, right? When anybody's tweeting anything out, it's generally not, oh, this is, you know, I think we can work with it. No, when you tweet it out, if there was anything to work with, they would have said so in person. The fact you're tweeting it out means that this is going no place. But Max Scherzer tweeted out, after discussing the latest development with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We've previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based on current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all the documentation were to become public information. So basically they're saying, you know, open up your books. Otherwise, we're not even going to talk about a, a second pay cut. So to recap, the takeaway is things are going phenomenally well. Now, unlike the last couple of times, MLBPA uh, is exactly is, is, is actually going to uh, present something other than the old Goodfellas line of blank you and pay me. Uh, Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellich of The Athletic report that the MLBPA's response to uh, the latest economic proposal of the owners will to be insisting on the prorated salaries. They're not going to take anything less than what they've already negotiated. They don't care that that clause was in the, the original agreement. 
that if there's going to be no fans, there's going to be less pay. They don't care. They also report the union will propose playing more than the 82 games has been that has been scheduled by Major League Baseball. So they'll still play for the prorated portion of the salaries, but they will play more games, which I guess you could kind of say is kind of working out as a bit of a pay cut them themselves. The, the players are floating an idea, at least reportedly, of playing up to 110 games. I don't know how that is going to be feasible, you know, just feasible. You're basically saying that you're going to be playing every single day through October. hundred. So if you play July, August, September, October, and 110 games, maybe my math is incorrect. But by my math, if you're playing those four months, and that's not just to, to start October, that's through all the way through October. You're talking, what, 27, 28 games a month? I don't know if that's even no days off at all. That seems like it's a bit of a stretch. But the, the prorated salaries uh, would still be in effect, so at least they could kind of move off that issue. All right, so here's Jeff Passan, who's been a very busy guy, uh, talking about the fact that Max Scherzer's comments, this is not just some guy, this is not Blake Snell just kind of shooting off on a Twitch stream. This is Max Scherzer, and his comments carry a lot of weight. Max Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Cy Young Award winner multiple times. This is a guy who has gravitas and is not just a great player, but is an incredibly intelligent person, too. And to have him coming out as strident as he was, as forceful as he was with this message, I think says a lot about the position of the players right now. They're mad. They're mad at the offer that Major League Baseball made, and they're not going to sit here and say, oh, we'll be conciliatory. We'll come and meet you in the middle. No. They want to go back to the player or to Major League Baseball and say, we're not going to accept this. All right. So there's Jeff Pass's latest takes. And, uh, you know, the one thing I have an issue with is that, you know, saying that uh, you already agreed to a pay cut. Prorated salaries are not are not really a pay cut. You're working fewer days, so you're getting paid a lower amount. But I guess my main takeaway is, with the way things stand right now, this is mostly on the owners. Not exclusively on the owners, but it's mostly on the owners. When you started this whole thing, when Rob Manford came out as the commissioner, the front for the owners, he came out and talked about how baseball was going to help America get through this, how baseball, this is the time for baseball to help heal the country like it's done before. Blah, blah, blah. So as long as you're making money on it, it's time for baseball to heal the country. As long as you're making money on it, it's time to heal the country and all that nonsense. Major League Baseball, since the moment really Manfred became the commissioner, certainly even before that, but from the moment that he became the commissioner, they have been raking it in. And this is the owner's game. They own the game. MLB is the owners. So it is more on them than the players to make sure that there is a season. But I guess the, the real bottom line for me is figure it out, guys. Make a deal or not. If you're not going to make a deal, don't make a deal. You know what? We'll all move, we'll be disappointed. The baseball fans will be disappointed. It'll be annoying, mostly, because all these other leagues seem like they're moving in the right direction. And while baseball sometimes gets an unfair rap, this one, all the criticism that they would receive would be completely justified.
So figure it out, guys. Work out a deal. And again, it's amazing. Leave it to Major League Baseball. Leave it to the two sides there that they would figure out, if they do, figure out a way to make a deal, play the season, and yet turn off even more people in the process at a time where anything and everything sports-related should be getting a boost by the state of the world and the state that everybody's living in, desperate for some sort of distraction in a sports sense. But Major League Baseball will figure out a way to come to a deal at some point and still kind of disgust people by the way they got to that deal. So our poll question, which is up for today, it is uh, on uh, the old Twitter machine, at Gordon Damer, is do you, uh, at this point, right, the clock is ticking, you have this soft, de- it, it seemed like the deadline was June 1st, now the deadline by everybody's account. Oh, well, you know, they could come up to a deal even next week. They still have plenty of time. Uh, but with where things stand right now, it looks like things are going nowhere. So which side do you kind of come down on? Do you come on the side of doom and gloom that there's not going to be a season? Just forget about it, blah, blah, blah. Or do you come down on the side of, you know what? Trust the process. This is all part of the negotiation dance. It seems like the people that follow the sport, uh, feel that way. It gets the feeling though, and maybe it's because they're more veterans of uh, the process, right? So they can, they've been through these kind of wars before. Uh, but the problem is, is that they were all the people that were telling me last week, well, don't worry about that. Last week's going to suck. But this week, this week is going to be much, much better. And by the time we get to the end of this week, well, then you'll see some real progress. It's Thursday. <laughs> it's Thursday here. It would be nice to see some progress. It feels like they just keep digging the hole. It just keeps seeming like it's getting deeper and deeper doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of progress unless the the idea is to come out at the bottom. Then maybe there's been some progress. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. That's the poll questions up for today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. But there's other things to discuss as well because the NBA, as I said, uh, seem like they're moving in the right direction. Just the NBA just cruising right along. It's like the Seinfeld where Jerry's flying in first class and Elaine is back in coach. MLB is Elaine. The NBA is Jerry. The NBA and the Players Association reportedly are progressing on a plan that would allow for a limited number of family members to join the players when the uh, season resumes inside the bubble. Family members would be subject to the same rules of the biosphere. There's a word I didn't think that I would be using on a sports show at any time in my life. Biosphere. Uh, testing protocols would uh, apply to all the uh, people that uh, are under the bubble. And the timing looks like it would be for the, the family members to join the players would be when the initial wave of teams decrease, right? So however many teams would be at the start under the bubble at Disney or wherever they are, uh, once they kind of cut down, they would uh, then allow family members to take part on this. So... Certainly seems like the NBA, they're already, they've already moved on from all the other stuff. And now they're figuring out a way to get the, 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 the players' families to be part of it. Well, fantastic. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball is uh, scrambling over a nickel in the corner. Good job, guys. Really bang up job. Poll question up for today. And I gotta be honest. I don't, I, I, I'm kind of done with the baseball. Uh, nothing new has changed. Even though, you know, you get stuff every single day. I was hesitant to have a poll question about, about baseball because I, I, I know I can read the room and people are done with it. 
And I know that leading off the show, you know, we lead off the show with what the headlines are in case you, you know, you're waking up at this time and uh, you want to know what the story is. And, and that is the headline. Baseball is still the number one topic to me in terms of a news sense. It's not the number one story necessarily in terms of uh, the interest, though. Because I think everybody is kind of on board at this point, whether you're the owners, players, fan, not fan. You're kind of just sick of it. And uh, guys, figure it out or don't and just go away. And w- everybody will d- deal with it just fine. It, it certainly seems like that if anybody's a sports fan, right, you're a diehard baseball fan and baseball doesn't come back, it seems like you'll have some other options. And I would think that you would take it up, be it hockey, be it NBA, be it when football comes. You'll, you'll find enough. You'll live. Let's put it that way. You won't live and die with Major League Baseball. So that's the that's the topic of baseball for today. I think I'm done talking about that. But you can please vote on the poll question. It's on Twitter at Gordon Dammer. But let's move to something a little bit more entertaining, maybe. Right? Stop me if you've heard this one before. The Knicks need a new head coach. And that's one other thing. Before we get into the Knicks, like their NBA is coming up with all these different plans about, uh, you know, will have, have finished regular season. Will they have 24 teams in the playoffs and kind of, you know, have like a, a bit of a little bit of a play in tournament? Even in quarantine, even when you're desperate for things to watch as a sports fan, I don't think I need any more Knicks games this season. I, I think I'm good. I'm depressed enough on a regular basis. I don't think that I need to watch the like even now, even with nothing to watch, even combing through Netflix on a nightly basis or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus, every single thing. I I don't think that even in this desperate time that I need to watch a single Nick game. And you know what will help. You know you you know what will happen. The Knicks, if they do come up with some plan where the Knicks are still playing games, which, I, I mean, in this time, if, if, if there's any team that deserves to you know what, guys, just come back next. The Knicks are that team, all right? They, they can – we can all live without the Knicks coming back at this point. Uh, but you know what would happen. The Knicks would play, like, three games, right, left in the season. Someone would get hurt, right? Like, somebody will suffer some sort of injury that will impact whenever the next season happens – will impact next season. But as things stand right now, there were reports yesterday, the Knicks are looking for a new head coach, which I believe would be their sixth in six years. And if my math could be trusted, I believe that would be one coach every year, right? Six in six years. I'm like Bill James over here. But let me start there. I've heard this already. Whoever the next coach is, they have to be here for the long haul. Whoever they hire, they have to be here for a very long time. They keep turning over these coaches time and time and time again. And that's part of the problem. No, it's not. Whoever they hire has to be better. But the issue surrounding the Knicks over the however long time frame you want is not patience. It's performance. The past few coaches... Their issue has not been that they weren't given ample time. As much as it was, the team stunk. It was kind of out of the hands of whoever the coach was. But whoever the coach was didn't do a very good job. Houdini could have come in 
and would not have been able to elevate the team that the Knicks have had here for the past 5, 6, 7, 10, 20 years, would not have been able to coach them all that great to make them into a contender. But in just terms of performance of the coaches themselves, and I'm not just talking about the interim guys because that's an, an impossible situation, but Derek Fisher's issue with the Knicks was not that he didn't have enough time. Even with the limited amount of time that he had, I think everybody is in agreement. He had enough time. Like, if things were going to go well with Derek Fisher, the issue was not, oh, you know what, too sh- too short a leash. you, you got to give him a little bit more time to implement his system. His system was a disaster. Jeff Hornacek's issue was not that he didn't have enough time. David Fisdale's issue certainly was not <laughs> that he didn't have enough time. So it, whenever the, the topic of a Knicks coach comes up, I keep seeing people say, well, you know, whoever it is, you got to give him some time to operate. Well, not if he's a disaster. And those three guys didn't do a very good job. So their problem was not not having enough time. It was not having enough answers. But according to The Athletic, Tom Thibodeau's name has been has been mentioned and uh, he is looking to uh, as the top candidate. But the, the Knicks are expected to uh, look and interview Kenny Atkinson, the former Nets head coach, local guy. Mike Miller, who is currently, as things stand right now, the Knicks interim coach, that he has impressed some within the organization and that uh, it's possible he could be kept on. And uh, even, you know, anytime the Knicks job opens up, there is going to be a portion of fans who will uh, cry for Mark Jackson. Now, I am on record as saying if I were the Knicks looking for the next head coach, I wouldn't, I'm not a fan, a, a big fan of Mark Jackson. I don't think that that's the direction. I don't think that Mark Jackson's time with the Golden State Warriors was all that impressive. And it kind of concerns me that if you are a big believer in Mark Jackson and you feel like that the, the, that he laid the groundwork for what the Warriors became, you would think that someone within league circles would eventually realize that and say, hey, you know what? Mark Jackson's available. Look at what he did with Golden State. I think Mark Jackson held Golden State back a whole lot more than he instilled this this blueprint for as soon as he left, all of a sudden they became the greatest team we've ever seen. Or among the great. Uh, you know, it's like a, I'm not being literal there. But as much of a fan, I'm not a fan of Mark Jackson. If you gave me the two options of either Mark Jackson or Tom Thibodeau, I think I'd probably go with Mark Jackson. Now, I, I, I wouldn't be doing – those are not the two options I want to have. But if you pressed me, to, those are the only two guys in the, in the entire globe that can be the, the, the coach. I think I'd probably take a chance on Mark Jackson over, uh, over Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau has some, some benefits and his, his resume – is certainly better. I, I think whoever, if, if they hired Tom Thibodeau, he would come in as a better coach than anybody who has recently coached the team. And he has the reputation, you know, hard-nosed, not going to be the player's friend, is going to instill defense in the team. And he has some attributes. I, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. But I think he's a bad fit for where the Knicks are at right now. Whoever the Knicks hire. They need to realize the Knicks, whoever's running the Knicks, Leon Rose, the all the people he's hired, the owner, everybody. They have to realize this is not a win now team. 
They're nowhere close to being a win-now team. They might have the least talented roster in the entire league. And I don't think that, that Tom Thibodeau is a bad coach or isn't the right coach in some environments. But his ideal environment would be to squeeze as much as possible out of a more ready-made team. If you're bringing in Tom Thibodeau, you kind of have a win-now team that is underachieved and needs that hard hand to force them to, 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 to play in a certain style that will get them to the next level, whatever that next level is. The Knicks are not a win-now team. We're hoping that they will win in the future at some point. But it's not now. And Tom Thibodeau's approach is is not the right approach for this team. Even if you are of the belief, and I'm not, that the Knicks, after this season, the way they build it is through free agency. Now, I would much rather take a slow approach, a slow rebuild, coming from where they are, and continue to start to draft well, continue to draft well, start to draft well, and then develop the players that you draft. But if you're of the normal Knicks approach of, you know what? We're going to short-circuit this thing, and we're going to appeal to free agents, right? You hire Leon Rose, former agent. You'd have to think that that's the direction that the Knicks are very likely to go in. Is Tom Thibodeau and his approach, is that an approach that's going to attract free agents? In a league where the players pick the coach, not the coach picks the players. It would seem to me, even as as unattractive as it seems like the Knicks are as a destination for premier free agents, hiring Tom Thibodeau, I think, would make it even less attractive, if that were possible. To me, this one of the available names, to me, this one is pretty simple. The guy who should get the job from where the Knicks, what the Knicks need, from where they are, it's pretty simple. Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson has a pedigree of developing players. Now, I'm not saying he's developed anybody into superstars, but he has gotten the most out of the players that he had. I don't buy this this whole culture thing. Oh, you have to develop a culture. Winning develops a culture. When you win, that develops the culture. And I do think that the Knicks have some young talent. Not a lot, but some. And the way to at least maximize that young talent would be to get a coach who has a history of kind of maximizing young talent. With Thibs, the the expectation is to win right away. The Knicks, whoever they hire, let me tell you right now, they're not going to win right away. Atkinson is much more of a build-something kind of guy. And the approach to me, given the, the, the information that we have, I mean, it could not be any more clear. But you know what else <laughs> it couldn't be any more clear? The Knicks will, will go through this whole rigmarole of conducting a search, and then they're going to hire the guy they wanted to hire anyway. And that guy is almost certainly going to be Tom Thibodeau. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Let's get a call in. Chris is in Manhattan. Chris, what's going on, my man? Good morning, Gordon. How are you doing? I'm good, man. What's up? Good. Uh, first, I want to thank you for the uh, the Smith uh, the Smith reference. I haven't heard that song in a long time, and I'll probably be playing it on my uh, morning walk. Um, I wanted to get your opinion. What was on, the Smith uh, reference? I don't even know what that is. 
stop me if you think that you've heard this one before. Oh, okay. I, 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 that was not something that was referenced in this. But if you took it that way, Chris, then that's what, how I meant it. Oh, nah, if you haven't heard the song, check it out. All right, All right we'll do. Yeah, it's Marcy and uh, uh, Marcy and Johnny Marr, um, right. uh, who are the writers. Um, I wanted to get your opinion. I've been going over uh, something with Trey and Spike and Larry uh, in the evenings. We've been talking about uh, the draft, and we've been talking about point guards. And I wanted to get your idea on who you would draft uh, for the Knicks. Uh, if they were all available, uh, would it be a point guard, and which one would it be? Um, and I'll end off on, I haven't spoken to you in a while, so um, Miami Dolphins did a good job in the draft, man. You know, So good luck this year, man. Listen, stay safe. Keep doing what you do. All right, thanks for your time, man. All right, Chris. Uh, look, uh, in terms of the Dolphins, I'll just say this. Uh, I, I'm not as uh, optimistic uh, as everyone else seems to be. I know that what happens with the the draft is the teams that have the most draft picks. Everybody thinks, "Wow, look at the, all the look at all the areas that they solved. Look at all the uh, different uh, areas that they were able to fix." But you know what? There's a reason why all those teams have all those draft picks, and a lot of times it's because they don't know what they're doing. The the, the Dolphins draft will eventually come down to how Tua plays, uh, and if he plays well and can stay healthy, mostly if he can stay healthy. I think he probably will play well, but uh, that uh, is another question for another day. Look, at the end of the day for the Knicks, and I know that the focus is going to be on point guard, it's a little hard for me to know uh, who to draft when I don't know where they're going to draft. I don't know if they're if they're going to resume the season. I don't know, you know what the results of the draft lottery are going to be. Everyone is going to be focused on the point guards because it does seem like there's a couple available this year. I really like Cole Anthony a lot. Uh, to me, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, um, you know, he, he has some, some flaws. I think that he can guard the position. And I think he has, from what I've seen, now look, he's the guy that I've probably seen the most. So maybe that's part of the reason why I feel that way. But he can, he can guard the pick and roll. He, he has some strengths on the offensive side of the floor. But the bigger issue to me is the, the Knicks, it's not that they need, this position, it's like, when we talk about the NFL draft, we never talk, most times we say, well, it's not about just drafting of a position of need. You gotta get the best player available. The Knicks are still kind of at that stage. They need the best, they need to come out of this draft if they're picking sixth, if they're picking two, if they're picking eight, wherever they pick, they gotta get a guy who can play. So I'm not going to narrow it down and say, well, they have to get a point guard, they have to, they only can draft this one position, because again, Outside of Julius Randle and, and, and Robinson, I don't know that the Knicks have a whole lot of young talent on their team, despite the fact it seems like they're in the lottery every single year. So I like Cole Anthony out of the guys that I've seen. It's probably because he's the guy I've seen the most, but I'm not narrowing it down to just simply one position and saying, uh, they have to get a point guard. They need a point guard. That's true, but that's not the only thing they need. They need a whole lot of help. They need, they need walls. They need a ceiling. They need, uh, basement, they need everything. In the rebuild process, they are at ground zero still. And uh, so I'm not going to narrow it down and say they simply have to pick this one position, even though it seems like wherever they draft, there should be a couple of options available at that position. On fourth and five, Jones steps up, takes off, he's in, touchdown! Oh, a little football, huh? A little 
moment of inspiration. Yesterday was the uh, birthday of Daniel Jones, Giants quarterback, turned 23 years of age. So happy birthday to Daniel Jones, and God knows we need a little football back in our lives, and the closer we can get to it, I don't want to. I don't want to get rid of the summer. I'm still kind of hoping that the summer is going to be the summer. That's the that that's the season of the year that I love more than any other. It's not sports related, obviously, because the football is is fantastic, and the fall is when you get the the playoff baseball and the football's back and all those things. That's the best time of the sports calendar. Forget this March idea, uh, but. Um, we need football back in our lives because it certainly seems like there's not going to be any playoff baseball to uh, discuss. But your moment of inspiration for this uh, Thursday morning, and our poll question is baseball related. Although I think the the numbers I think today are going to tank. I think today we're going to we're going to tank the numbers. We've had good numbers since we kind of come back. It took a little while for people to remember about the poll question and stuff like that. But let's see where the poll numbers end up uh, finishing today. But I think that uh, I think people are kind of washed up with the baseball. And uh, we did lead with the uh, the tweet by Max Scherzer and the state of the negotiations, which kind of seems like it's going nowhere. But a lot of the baseball insiders say that uh, this is all part of the process. So that's our poll question for today. Do you think that it is doom and gloom as it kind of appears from the outside? Or do you think that this is just part of the process and you got to trust it and it'll play out and that cooler heads will eventually prevail and uh, the baseball will uh, have a 2020 season? So you can vote on the poll question. It's uh, up on Twitter. At Gordon Dammer. But I did want to kind of touch on one thing with Daniel Jones because we didn't get to it yesterday because there was other stuff to get on. But I think it was, was it Tuesday? Dan Orlovsky was on the Michael K show and they were talking about quarterbacks. They were talking about uh, Sam Darnold and they were talking about uh, Daniel Jones. And I think it, this is the one that was playing in uh, the promo that I've heard. And it was Dan Orlovsky saying, you know, being asked, I think it was by Michael. Can Daniel Jones be great enough that he can win a Super Bowl? Here is uh, Dan Orlovsky. I think the Giants can win a Super Bowl with him. I don't know if he can be a great quarterback. I have two major question marks, and these are the exact same question marks I had with him coming out of Duke. And this is why I said he can't go be really good. He's the sixth pick. He needs to go be great. Mm -hmm. One, what does he do in panic moments? And that was the same thing that I talked about coming out of Duke, that there's a little bit of panic there. People may not think that that's a big deal, but if you have six or eight panic plays a year that are these back-baking panic plays, you never become Super Bowl-dominant quarterback. And two, the arm strength is a thing. And I'm not an arm strength guy, but in a time in the NFL where the field is as spread as it is, and you got to be able to create your own shot as a quarterback, arm strength plays its part. But until those two things get corrected... I can't sit here and go, yeah, he's going to be a great player, or I'm very confident that the Giants absolutely will win a Super Bowl with them. All right. Well, look, in terms of winning a Super Bowl, I mean, could the Giants uh, – I'm not saying that they're as far away from winning a Super Bowl as they've ever been, but they're they're pretty far away, right? There's a lot of things that need to start moving in the right direction, and whether or not they'll ever move in the right direction uh, remains to be seen with with, with uh, Gettleman and, and, and everything like that. Uh, here's what I will say about Daniel Jones, and it's – how anybody would be able to tell you how he is definitely going to progress at this stage after watching him for what 13 games uh i, I mean boy oh boy that that that's a real uh really putting it out there to me there's no way you could have watched daniel jones's rookie season last year taking into all all the things that he had to deal with and come away with any assessment that if you had to grade him like he was in school there's no way you can look at what he had to deal with and grade him any worse than a B minus. 
Now, does he have to take a step forward? Of course. He played 13 games. He's not a finished product after one season. It's not, I mean, tell me the quarterback outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes that after his first season, you can say, you know what? That guy's going to win a Super Bowl. You got to give him a little bit of time to see how he progresses. And there are things that he obviously has to take a step forward on, protecting the football being the most obvious thing. And he has some glaring issues that he needs to fix. Duh! But to think that he hasn't shown enough to be very excited about the, 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 the future of Daniel Jones, considering that he has been one of the most criticized picks in recent history in the NFL draft, I don't see how you could be fair and, and think that, uh, that, that he has not shown quite a bit, even in the short time that he, I, I get it, it's a small sample size. It's only one season. But I think that that's a real stretch to think that he has not shown you, hey, there are real reasons for optimism in terms of a deep ball thrower, in terms of, and, and, and Dan Orlovsky talks about, about panic plays. Uh, look, he has to be more careful with the ball, be it, in the pocket, outside the pocket. But I, I don't feel like he had panic plays, uh, negative panic plays. I think that when he is in the pocket, he gives himself as much time as possible to make plays. And he doesn't panic. So I, I don't know, uh, you know, Dan Orlovsky is, is, is looking at, at, uh, video constantly, I'm sure. But watching Daniel Jones at every single game that the guy played, he got better. As the season went along, and he seems to me to be a guy who is pro, if you're looking for a guy who's going to take a big step forward in year two, I would feel a lot more confident in Daniel Jones than I did a year ago thinking that about Sam Darnold. Daniel Jones got better as the season went along last year, and keep in mind what he, take into account what he was dealing with. He was playing behind a subpar offensive line. And you have to kind of assume that the weapons he is surrounded with, which are better weapons, certainly more versatile weapons than the weapons that Sam Darnold had around him, that the the weapons that Daniel Jones will have will be far healthier. Last year, Daniel Jones played zero snaps. With Saquon, Ingram, Slayton, Shepard, and Tate all on the field together. And keep in mind as well, was playing for a team whose defense, by all accounts, was atrocious. Now, there are a lot of things outside of Daniel Jones' control, so I can't say sit here right now and tell you, well, he's definitely going to do this. I have no idea what kind of coach Joe Judge is going to be. I have no idea if training camp is going to take place or take place on time. There's a lot of things that are completely out of his control. But to think that through year one of Daniel Jones, that you haven't seen more from him in one year than you have in two years of Sam Darnold, I think is a real, real stretch. In case you're just joining us on this uh, Thursday morning, and maybe you're looking for some good news. Maybe you're waking up, getting ready to get out there and start your day. Maybe you're working from home. Maybe you're still going into the office, maybe you're one of the truckers or delivery guys or 
frontline workers or all these people that are still out there getting the job done and you're waking up after a, a you know a restful night's sleep i don't remember the last you know i feel like at this stage of my life maybe other people feel it i could get two hours of sleep i could get 10 hours of sleep i still feel the same way when i wake up i'm exhausted but maybe you're you did get a nice restful night's sleep and you're thinking to yourself gee i wonder if there was a breakthrough last night when it comes to the baseball players and owners. I doubt that you're even thinking that, but maybe you are. Maybe you're the guy. You're a diehard baseball fan. You're hoping, you know what? Maybe last night was the night. I keep hearing that it's gonna, they're going to turn the corner at some point. Maybe last night was the night. Well, let me be the first to tell you no. It was not last night. Despite the fact that uh, people within the game still say, you know what? This is part of the process. You just have to wait for it to kind of play itself out. It's all a negotiation. Just because the guy says he's going to he's going to walk out of the car dealership doesn't mean that he's going to walk out of the car dealership. That this is just kind of the pace of way things go until there is a deal. Well, if you were hoping for some optimism, I don't think that you got it last night. Because Max Scherzer took to Twitter and said, quote, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. So basically, we're at the stage of the negotiation where the players are now demanding that the owners open up the books if they want any further financial compensation. So to recap, the takeaway is things are going phenomenally well. Now, unlike the uh, last couple of times, it does appear, though, that the MLBPA is actually going to present something other than the old Goodfellas line that I referenced before, blank you pay me. They're not going that route to get. Well, I guess I guess they are kind of, but Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich of the Athletic report that the MLB's response to the economic proposal of the owners will be to insist on the prorated set. They're not going to negotiate on that at all, but they would be willing to play more games for those same salaries of the 81 games. So maybe 100 games, maybe 110, uh, that they're not going to accept any further pay cut. But they would be willing to give more for what they are going to receive. So the 81, what you know, the half the salaries, that's still going to stand. But in terms of actual money given back, no, they're not going to go that route. So at least that's something, because the last time that they floated the 50-50 proposal, the uh, players basically laughed and didn't do anything. Now, look, the approach of the players, and I guess just the fact that they are the players, they're going to receive a, a fair amount of criticism by the way they approach it, which is basically to say, no, we're not doing that too bad. You know, very much a line in the sand. But at the end of the day, this is mostly on the owners. And uh, when the when the whole thing started, as I referenced earlier, Rob Manfred came out and kind of gave you the whole, you know, America, don't worry, baseball will, will help guide us through this tough time and help heal the country and be the first sport back and we'll have the grand stage and we'll do you proud. You know, all this mumbo-jumbo, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but... Uh, at the end of the day, what they're saying is, yes, that's all true as long as we will still make money on it. And 
keep in mind, the owners, you know, th- th- we have this debate. Who is the game? Are the players the game? The, no, the owners are the game. They own the game. It is their game. There's a reason why when we're talking about the proposals going back and forth, the MLB proposal comes from the owners. The players are the players association. So the owners do own the game. So at the end of the day, it's more on them than it is. It's not a 50-50 thing. And the owners, in fairness to the players, it wasn't like the owners, while they were raking in the cash the last five, ten years, it wasn't like they were saying, well, you know what, we did a lot better than we thought. Here's a little bonus for you. No, the the bottom line is the the owners own the game, and the bottom line is the two sides have to figure out and make a deal. Either, Either make it or don't. And I guess my greatest takeaway from yesterday and just seeing the back and forth is leave it to Major League Baseball to figure out a way that they will come up with a deal and yet still alienate a good portion of the viewing public enough that they won't get the normal bump that most of the sports have been getting right now while we're desperate for any kind of sports content at all. So that's the baseball story, and that kind of ties into our poll question for today, which is on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. And admittedly, I realize with the the, the, the state of the world, people don't have a lot of um, patience for the back and forth of the baseball players and owners. And look, I'm I'm frustrated by it myself, but at the end of the day, if they play the games, I'll watch the games. But I'm getting more and more to the point that if they don't play the games, I'll live. I'll I'll figure it out. I got enough stuff to do. I got enough stuff to worry about, to, to worry about the baseball players and owners. And it's just amazing that they can figure out a way that even if they do play, uh, that they would alienate enough people that would, uh, they would not get the normal, bump in attendance or bump in viewing that uh, you would expect during a time where basically everybody, in terms of a sports fan, is looking for something to watch. And that kind of ties into our poll question because it seems like all the people within the game, they're saying, well, you know what, look, it looks bad, but trust the process. So our poll question is, what side do you come on? Do you think that this is really doom and gloom, or is that just for the outside viewer? Do you do? Uh, do you have to trust the process and expect that they will come up with a deal? So uh, that's the poll question for today, and I guess that's going to be the show for today, right? We're already out of time? All right, that's going to do it for us for today. Please uh, vote on the poll question. We'll be back tomorrow starting at 5 a.m. right here, 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.